Sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon, this is Prison Pipeline. I'm Doug McVeigh. Prison Pipeline presents a unique perspective of the criminal justice system, addressing the root causes of crime and broadening understanding of the institution of incarceration. We seek to promote awareness and activism in order to foster a safe, healthy, and just society. Oregon's Ballot Measure 110, the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, was approved overwhelmingly by voters in the 2020 general election. The law went into effect on February 1, 2021. On this edition of Prison Pipeline, Measure 110, one year on. The Health Justice Recovery Alliance is the statewide advocacy coalition working to ensure that Measure 110 is implemented fully and without delay, centering the needs of communities most harmed by the war on drugs. The coalition represents more than 75 community-based organizations across Oregon with deep knowledge and experience working to serve and strengthen local communities. It includes medical associations, culturally specific organizations, labor, harm reduction, recovery providers and advocates, people in recovery and more. I'm Tara Hurst. I'm the executive director for the Health Justice Recovery Alliance. To get started, could you give us just a very brief summary of what that measure did? Yeah, absolutely. So 110 uh, was basically, um, it decriminalized small possession of drugs, uh, personal possession for drugs, and it, it also diverted cannabis tax funds to fund recovery and harm reduction services. So it really is moving the criminal justice approach to substance use to a healthcare-based approach to substance use. And we know that this truly is the way that we can um, address our addiction crisis in Oregon. And it's not a moral failing and it shouldn't be treated as a criminal act. It's really, you know, substance use is something that needs to be treated uh, through the healthcare system with, and with housing and, um, and in the behavioral health system. So what Measure 110 did is really it's about shifting everything um, when it comes to substance use away from the criminal justice and legal system and really trying to address it through a health-based approach. Tara, I want to ask you about Measure 110's successes to date, the people being helped, the lives being saved, and if we have time, I will. But the Oregon legislature is in session. There are bills being considered that would have an impact on all Oregonians, but especially on people who use drugs, on people in recovery, and on people in treatment. So just talk to me about what's happening in the legislature. Well, so in the legislature, it's a short session and it started on um, Monday. And what we have, there's a couple bills that will impact um, Measure 110, which in turn impacts people who use drugs negatively 
um, with two bills that we know of as of yet. One is Senate Bill 1541, uh, which is Tim uh, Senator Knope's bill, um, and that would divert $120 million out of the uh, Measure 110 Services Fund. The Services Fund is going towards housing, peer support services, harm reduction, and overdose prevention services, as well as low barrier uh, addiction recovery services. They are, the bill would take $120 million of biennium since the, uh, we do our budgets by bienniums in uh, Oregon, and it would divert it to the state police. So that may sound shocking, which it is, because if you remember what I just said about Measure 110, it's really about ensuring that we are putting more money into services and, and moving away from a criminal justice and, and law enforcement approach to substance use. So 1541 is up for a hearing um, and work session on uh, February 7th in the Senate. Um, in the Senate Judiciary uh, and Ballot Measure 110 Implementation Committee. There's also a bill that was kind of buried, uh, House Bill 4016-4016. The base bill is is just trying to work um, and and address some issues for the legal cannabis um, businesses. But there's a dash three amendment, which would divert $29 million a biennium away from Measure 110 services and um, put it towards law enforcement efforts uh, to work on the illegal grow operations that are really impacting Southern Oregon. Um, our, our position on both of these bills is that we strongly oppose them. If there are dollars that need to be diverted towards these issues and towards law enforcement, uh, to address these these critical issues, then they really need to be doing that from a different fund. You cannot take service money dollars that are so desperately needed, especially when um, SAMHSA just said that um, just released the, its latest report that says that Oregon is at the um, bottom. We are ranked 50th in access to services to addiction services, and we are second in rates of addiction in the country. So. The idea that we would a reverse what the voters will and intent was 14 months after this bill passed and at a time when Oregon is in the bottom bottom of services and at the top of addiction rates is really just it's hard to wrap your your mind around. So that's what's going on as a threat to Measure 110. There are a couple bills that, um, that at least that I'm aware of that helps impact people who either have been most impacted by the war on drugs, that's Senate Bill 1579, that's an economic equity investment fund. Um, and that's a fund that's really designed to help build wealth and um, you know, entrepreneurship workforce and home ownership for communities who have been most impacted by the war on drugs, which are the same communities that Measure 110 is working um, so closely with. Uh, and Senate Bill uh, 1579 is a really important bill. It would divert, uh, it would fund this uh, equity fund $50 million from the general fund to get it started and to make sure that 
uh, the state is investing in communities most harmed and, and really helping uh, build wealth uh, that they were pretty much taken away from because they've been impacted uh, by this war on drugs. Um, House Bill 4004, I'm not um, an expert on it, but I know that it is uh, investing funds towards clinical and behavioral health uh, workforce, which is really important. We are in a workforce crisis, uh, especially when it comes to behavioral health care, because we uh, do not pay our behavioral health care workers um, the, a good living wage, um, especially when you look at the work that they're doing. And a lot of that is the stigmatization of substance use and substance users um, and the work for the people who, uh, who work in, in addictions. We reimburse at lower rates than in other uh, mental health issues and behavioral health issues. So this is a bill that's working to try and infuse money into that system um, and, and help people at least retain um, quality workforce. And then, you know, one that's close to my heart that I think we can't just, you know, put each other in silos is House Bill 4002, which is the um, farm worker overtime uh, pay bill, which I just think is a basic fundamental uh, issue that we all need to be caring about and working towards. And, and we know that mental health and behavioral health and, and substance use is prevalent in um, communities that have been so uh, long ignored and abused and, and farm workers are literally the people who put food on our table. So that's a few <laughs> of the bills that are happening in the short session that we are following. Excellent. I, okay, darn it. I, did, I was debating on whether I was even going to mention this. And this isn't a question. This is just a statement of mine. Legislature's work to implement Measure 110 was put into the hands of the State Senate's Judiciary Committee, which is, I think you mentioned, the um, Committee on the Judiciary and the Implementation of Measure 110. That's the folks responsible for the criminal legal system and this whole sorry state of affairs we found ourselves in at, that led to the passage of Measure 110. On the one hand, those folks should certainly be familiar with all the shortcomings and the faults in the criminal legal system because they're partly responsible for those shortcomings and faults. The fact is the criminal legal system is the entirely wrong place for dealing with policies that affect people who use drugs. It's my contention those policies should have been in the hands of the health care committee. I mean, behavioral health, hmm, yeah, I think we're still looking inside a box. And the idea is to get out of the box and get people out of those boxes because putting people in boxes has never really helped solve anything. Again, that wasn't a question. That was just me griping because... This is something I've been working on for a long time, and I was wondering when the um, when some of these uh, when some of these bills going in the wrong direction would end up coming up. What can people do? So people can um, email their legislators, and we can I, give a send out a link, or I don't know if you can put it on your website. We have a whole toolkit of how to contact your legislator, and in case you weren't taking copious notes of the exact bills that I was just talking about, we have it all ready for people so that we can make it easy to advocate um, on behalf of our community because it's really important. Um, you know, call your legislator, tell them you don't want to see critical uh, addiction and recovery funds and harm reduction funds going back to law enforcement and that we really need to be 
adding money to the system, not taking it away. And, you know, I think that that's really important. People um, should not underestimate the power of their own voice. And as a constituent, it's absolutely your right um, to let the legislature know. I voted for Measure 110 because I wanna make sure that we move to a health-based approach. And these bills are taking, um, are moving that health-based approach back into the law enforcement approach. And that's just unacceptable. This is an interview with Tara Hurst, Executive Director of Oregon's Health Justice Recovery Alliance. You're listening to Prison Pipeline. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. Now, I mentioned at the top, I said I was going to ask about some of the successes, and by gosh, it seems like a good enough time to. Um, there have been a number of successes that Measure 110 has had in terms of funding, in terms of lives being impacted, I, even though it's only been in effect for, gosh, just a it's just been a just been a little over a year, right, since it actually went into effect. Yep, that's right. Can you talk about some of the uh, tell me some of the good stuff that uh, that Measure One Ten has uh, some of the good impacts that Measure One Ten has had so far? Sure, there's been a lot of really incredible impacts, um, positive impacts already from Measure One Ten. As you said, it's only been a year. And in some cases, it's only been six months um, since we've really invested funds into these services. So I'd say the first thing that I would mention is that we um, there were only uh, 1,800 citations. So now if you are caught with a small possession, a small personal amount of drugs on you, you will receive a citation from uh, the police and a phone number uh, that connects you to a screening um, by a peer support specialist, which is a much more effective way uh, to start on a path to, um, you know, to health. Uh, And so there were only 1,800 citations last year as Measure 110 started. To give some uh, context, normally uh, in a year, we rest about 9,000 people for small possessions or for possession of drugs. We don't know, we can't parse out exactly how many of those folks would still have at least because they had more on them than what Measure 110 considers a citation, but we can say that thousands of arrests were averted uh, due to Measure 110. these reforms, you know, have that means that our thousands fewer of our friends, our neighbors, and youth are locked behind bars or saddled with lifelong barriers to housing, employment, student loans, or even simple things like opening a bank account. So that impact is um, is pretty transformational for the person who did not receive um, those barriers. The other thing that Measure 110 has done is, um, as I said before, there's two pieces, right? There's the decriminalization and then there's the investment. And so uh, Measure 110 invested $302 million for this biennium, the 21-23 biennium for Oregon. Um, That's five times more than we've ever invested in non-Medicaid services, these types of Measure 110 services that I talked about, the housing, peer support services, harm reduction, overdose prevention services, and low barrier treatment options for addiction recovery um, 
that is an incredible amount of money. Um, and it is going to the providers, our community-based providers, to expand their services to ensure that they can support and serve more people who are struggling with substance use or who need you know, a safe place to live so that they can start accessing services or they need an overdose prevention kit. Um, these are life-saving services. $302 million was invested for this biennium. Last legislative session, um, we were able to secure $31 million to help really um, stabilize a lot of our community-based providers who, due to COVID and the behavioral health workforce crisis and, and many other factors, are just at a place of breaking point. And we were able to put in $31 million into this system to many of our culturally and linguistically specific services across the state. And OHA reports have shown that over 16,000 people were served through Measure 110 money. So 16,000 people who would not have access these critical life-saving services were able to get these services. And we know that about 60% of those folks were people accessing harm reduction services, overdose prevention services, which means that Measure 110 funds save lives. And we know that we're in an overdose crisis right now. Our whole nation is reeling over 30 to 40% increases in overdoses, which when you stop talking about numbers and remind people that this is your, you know, these are folks, um, sons, brothers, sisters, daughters, and friends and neighbors, um, any one death averted is, is something to celebrate. And Measure 110's funds have gone to life-saving um, interventions such as, you know, being able to hand out more Narcan and Naloxone to reverse overdoses. We know that some of the folks in the field um, were able to reverse hundreds of overdose deaths um, and overdoses just by having the access to this life-saving um, intervention. So, there's a lot of positive. I'd say the other thing that is positive that doesn't get talked about as much is that we're talking about substance use and we're talking about the services um, that goes with helping people um, get on a path to recovery if that's where they want to go. And that helps with the destigmatization of, of drug use. When we, when we say that um, substance use is a moral failing and we criminalize it, we're criminalizing people who need help. And when you criminalize people who need help, they don't seek help. And therefore they die because they die of overdose deaths. So we really have to move away from that space and really bring in an approach that is based in health-based, evidence-informed and trauma-informed care. And that's what Measure 110 is doing. And is it gonna, be implemented perfectly? Of course not. It's a new law. It's a transformational law. And there are a lot of pieces to it. But what we can do is um, learn from, you know, the bumps in the road. And ultimately, I think that it's going really well at this point. We, we've served 16,000 people. That's, that's incredible numbers. And that's because we have these service providers across our state 
are so dedicated to the serving um, a community that has been for so long cast aside um, because it's easy if you if you make it a moral failing, it's easy to set people aside um, and continue this war on on drugs and war on communities. Exactly. Thank you. Exactly. This is the the stigma around people who use drugs and the fact. It, it, the fact is, most people do, and some drugs are legal, some drugs are illegal. The problem is usually, uh, if people are using problematically, there's usually something beneath that. There's some kind of some kind of trauma, some kind of mental or, or physical health issue, some kind of past abuse. There are a lot of things that people are dealing with, you know, and we don't really know why people. Uh, are necessarily doing the things they do and they're not going to recover from anything if they're dead. So it's, um, right. you know, exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't talk about being in recovery much because in many respects, there's no upside to it for me personally, because it's not like I had gotten caught out. So I don't need for the public to know that I had those issues at the same time it might not hurt for me to admit to having used cocaine to and no longer and to having been a regular alcohol user no longer um, because I could be an example say, yeah, people can quit. I'm not sure I'm a great example, so that's a problem. But, you know, that's a but but again, I'm, you know, uh, if I'd have been, if I had been arrested, it would have thrown my life into turmoil. I probably would have lost a job. I probably would have lost my apartment. And um, those are not things that make it easier to get through, um, to get through life. Can you talk for a moment about stigma? I mean, I think this is something that we read. I mean, it, we deal with this in the on prison pipeline a lot in terms of just, you know, refer, remembering that it's people who are. In incarcerated people who are being put behind bars are not prisoners are not felons they're not all these other words that we use euphemisms that we these these labels they're people and that's um can, can you talk for a moment about stigma yeah absolutely i think that you know just like you said when you're if we create others when we create others and groups of others um it's easier for society to cast aside and to look the other way and, and feel justified by treating them, um, you know, less humane. And especially when you when you saddle people as criminals and criminal records, what we know is, is that it becomes less easy to come out and say, I think I might have a, a problem with drugs. Um, you don't want to talk about it. It's a, you feel oh, there's a lot of shame um, surrounding that. And with that shame becomes, it adds to your substance use and it, and it really takes away from kind of your, your own agency and your own understanding of who you are and, um, and, and helps, you know, take people down. So there's a lot of pieces to this. If you talk to folks who are most impacted by the war on drugs and in Oregon, that's black, uh, Latino, uh, indigenous, native and tribal communities, um, they have been eviscerated by this war on drugs. They've been, you know, families have been ripped apart. Um, they've, they have been thrown into a space of 
kind of cyclical poverty because they do have all of these barriers to housing and to jobs and to opening bank accounts. Um, and that's the stigma that I think a lot of um, dominant culture has been able to benefit from because, you know, the addiction crisis didn't become a crisis until opioids really became uh, an acceptable addiction crisis because it was more impacting uh, middle-class white families. And all of a sudden we didn't wanna see it criminalized as much. We wanted to talk about treatment and we wanted to talk about recovery and how do we help folks. And this has been an issue in so many communities. What we do know is, is that people don't, there's not more use among different it doesn't break down by racial um, lines. So it's not like communities of color use more than white communities. That's not accurate. But we do know that communities of color are more likely to be impacted and criminalized for using drugs. And so it's not just a stigmatization of substance use, it's a, a further stigmatization of um, communities of color. And, and that's such a harmful and traumatized, um, traumatizing issue. And when you think about why people turn to substances, it is usually because there's a trauma and it's a self-medication. That's why I turned to alcohol at a young age and drugs um, and, you know, I am in recovery, um, long-term recovery, and I do think it's important to talk about. I think it's important to have faces and, and, and people and examples of people who've been able to recover and or people who use, um, are able to use substances, even if they're illegal substances, and maintain their lives. And, you know, those are, there are a lot of people out there that are also able to do that. And so there's a, it's a continuum, just like any other community or any other, you know, group of people who need access to other things. When we stigmatize folks, it creates a space where we don't talk about it. Um, and, you know, when you look at youth, if, if parents don't feel comfortable talking about drugs to their kids and making sure that they know how to stay safe and, and, and how to stay away from um, particular substances, then kids are going to, you know, the youth are going to um, experiment on their own without any safety nets. And I think it's really important um, for us all to be talking to um, our youth and, and to everybody about the realities of substance use and, and not just demonizing it and criminalizing it. How do people follow the work that you're doing? I mean, the, your website again and on social media and that? Uh, yeah, our website is healthjusticerecovery.org. And um, people should hop on there. It has access to uh, all the latest uh, things that are happening and how to access our toolkit to get involved right now on, um, on opposing these bills, these dangerous bills in the legislature. Um, and then obviously, like any any other organization, you can find us on Twitter um, at HJRA on Twitter or on Instagram and Facebook.
That was my interview with Tara Hurst, Executive Director of Oregon's Health Justice Recovery Alliance. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Prison Pipeline. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. Join us again in a week for another edition of Prison Pipeline. For now, this is Doug McVeigh saying Sometimes so long. I so long. Regretting some little foolish thing, some simple thing that I have done. I try so hard